0: Welcome, everyone, to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and on today's podcast, we welcome Dr. AJ Lee. She's a leadership and culture consultant, and her mission is focused on helping people identify and own their own strengths to lead well and to grow their impact. She is so easy to talk to. She is inspiring to talk to. She's a former D one gymnast. So I do take a left turn and spend a little bit of time there because being a division one gymnast is just short of being an Olympic athlete. And so, uh, she's incredible in her, 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 own right, but also, um, we dive into what our passion's about. We talk about, uh, we're gonna dive into how do we create a culture that encourages wellness for everyone? How do we, uh, what strategies does she have to help us work on our own self wellness? A lot of us are experiencing burnout right now, um, and so what advice does she have for us as well as for working on our own burnout if we have it or helping others fight through theirs? It's a really interesting conversation. Again, we take a little bit of a left turn to dive into her athletic background, which I find fascinating, but we definitely spend plenty of time diving into real um, strategies to help us become better leaders and better people. So. I know this is a great conversation. Thanks for joining us again. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe to our podcast at whatever channel you listen to. Um, we thank you for your support. Enjoy. Tell us who are you and what do you love about what you do?
1: Yes, uh, it's such a important question to ask, and I think it's something I'm still growing into. But how I define myself from a professional lens is I'm a leadership and culture consultant. I support leaders and helping build effective well-being habits, and then I also am really passionate about building strategic brands and their stories for organizations. So I've dabbled in a lot of different areas um, from learning and development, college, collegiate athletics, and then um, more consulting more recently, um, but more, most importantly, right, I, I'm just passionate about helping others at whatever stage of life they are um, become their best self. So I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, um, all of those things, mentor, but uh, especially a student. Um, I truly believe the mantra that we are all lifelong learners. So I think that in some ways is why I've dabbled in so many different things because my curiosity peaks in different ways. So yeah,
0: I I think one of the things you just said is you know, I'm a wife, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, all I I find in almost any job, we can create environments where we require people to separate those. And I feel like the organizations I want to be a part of, you know, understand that all of those parts, including my job are just a part of me all the time. Is that something that resonates with you?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. As as someone that grew up being defined by the sport that I participated in, um, it was really challenging for me graduating college, separating, you know, the two. I was always known for that and really finding out who who is AJ, you know, separate from um, what I'd accomplished and done prior to that. So um, being able to have a safe space, if you will, to be your whole self, I think is what we're all just longing for.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I think You know, some people will definitely know your background. For those who don't, uh, it's probably going to be a little uncomfortable given how humble you are. Can you just share a little bit about what your athletic uh, endeavors were in college that helped you get so well known?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was a college division one gymnast uh, for Auburn University and competed the all around all four years, had the pleasure of just being at the, this is the one step down from Olympics for, for gymnasts, right. Um, and, and have just such amazing memories and experiences through that. Um, it really gave me, a, a heart to just build community through the relationships I was able to build, but also to understand how to manage my time more effectively because being a student athlete, um, no matter what perspective you have on that phrase, um, student really does come first. So, so being able to manage what it looks like to to keep up with my academics and do well in those uh, while traveling. You know, sometimes we traveled on Wednesday or Thursdays to drive up to Arkansas or wherever um, for competition was, was definitely stretching, but something that I'm so thankful for.
0: So am I right? One of my good friends that I grew up with from fourth grade on, she was a a world-class gymnast until probably sophomore year. And she chose to focus her the rest of her high school and college career playing basketball. But um, she was getting up. I want to say even as young as like elementary school and we would hang out, she would be up at 5 a.m. at the gym for uh, doing gymnastics. Is that, was that your childhood growing up? And did that bleed into college to where you're up at four and going to grind and after school going back to grind?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know specifically about your friend. She might've been homeschooled as well in some regards, or like you said, getting up to do morning conditioning. So it really depended on your club. But for me, yes, 25 hours a week, um, you know, got out of school in high school at 2.30, was at the gym by three, you know, all the way till 8, 8.30, basically every day of the week. We had volunteer, volunteer practices on Wednesday, um, so they weren't part of those 25, but we could come, um, and then, of course, 8 to 1 pretty much every Saturday, so when you think of a childhood, right, and what that looks like, my gym friends were my friends. Um, I had several peers in class that I was able to build relationships with, but there's something about the people you see and do life with every day that just really creates your your paradigm, if you will, of what you believe is a norm and what you should be leaning into.
0: When did you know that you loved it so much that you wanted to dedicate all the time to becoming a world-class gymnast?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, I think pretty young, um, my, my coaches had observed that I had talent or you know skill set that that i could um that could be cultivated in different ways um i as most gymnasts or anyone you talk to right especially around the 96 olympics time you wanted to be an olympian so that was my original ambition was i want by like seven eight i want to go to the olympics one day (laughs) Um, but i realized that there were other avenues to continue in the sport that i loved um I'm tall for a gymnast I know that sounds really weird I thought I was tall growing up I'm five foot three and a half and all my friends were four eleven and five foot so I was like man I might outgrow this sport you know by the time I get in (laughs) later on in life um so so all those things were factors that I considered in terms of choosing to go you know kind of the college route um, and and have have fun, if you will.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. When I, so again, I, I I was an aspiring, uh, division basketball player, aspiring meaning like as more of a towel boy, but, um, for whatever reason, when I was working towards that, I never stopped to think, you know, I'm six, one, not very athletic. Like, I don't know if I have the actual like measurements to do that. I would never think five, three would preclude you, From being able to be like the most effective gymnast. That's, that's, I've never thought about what's the ideal height. Like basketball players, you'd like to be 6'5 and above. And, you know, that's a really good frame to start with. Um, You don't have to be, but that's the frame to your point. 4'11 may be more of the (laughs) the better frame there, huh?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, because the equipment, like on the bars, they can only stretch so wide. And there's the, you know, Federation of International Gymnastics, the FIG code. So they don't adjust the bar settings when you get to the elite level. So, certain things like that, you know, you consider, and that's why you see so many very petite gymnasts
0: as well. So when you think about your life as a professional right now, um, what, what disciplines did you take from committing so much of your life to being a gymnast? Like what, what have you learned from that stage of your life that has made you really effective today?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that the foundation is that there is continual improvement that's necessary to achieve what we desire to achieve. So the reality is that a perfect 10 is fleeting, um, especially, you know, in middle school, high school, but in college as well, you might have received a 10, but there's always something you could have done better so that that grittiness, if you will, that, that ability to persevere, even to get that 1% better is something that I definitely keep with me. And I believe it's helped me um, be creative in how I approach my day-to-day now. Um, I would say within that, you know, the kind of perfectionism thought process um, can be a double-edged sword, right? So it can also create anxiety and overcomplicating things and, and not allowing yourself grace. So, so I think that as I've matured, I've realized that I can take those things that benefited me, but also realize that we're all human. Right. And, and, and maybe even some things that my coaches didn't let go in the past, I can let go because of who I desire to be. Um, and it's okay. Right. Um, to, to not do everything the exact way you expect every right. single time, so. Well, that
0: that's what I was going to ask. I'm glad you hit on it, was that, so I think, you know, I think about gymnasts, like there's so much grittiness that you have to develop over time. Yeah. I think you said the double-edged sword there would be too much perfectionist. Like, you know, watching the Olympics, I don't know much about gymnastics, but you make one misstep, that could be the difference between gold and obscurity, which is crazy right. to think. And so I wonder what's that battle has been like for you of how, how have you learned to give yourself grace? Because the, at least in the community I'm in and the educators that I used to oversee, I want them to fail forward. So I don't want them. I don't want them to keep repeating mistakes, but I don't want them to be scared of failure because we're trying to love and serve kids and love and serve our adults really well.
1: Right. No, that's really a great question. And I, and I want to preface it with the reality that I'm growing in it. (laughs) And and I'm not, I don't think we ever will arrive, um, but I think I try to uh, just set more clear boundaries with myself, but also with others. Having the courage to speak up for my own needs um, in situations when you're have that coach, gymnast, or even supervisor, you know, um, student leader, whatever relationship, it's easy to fall into a pattern of assuming you have to just follow through with exactly what they want of you. And you have to adjust how you're doing something solely to meet their needs without considering your own needs also. Um, So I think it's reframing the thought process for me to understand that it's okay that I have needs also. And as I identify them, it's okay to share them. Because in essence, just like you're talking about with those that you're managing, you want that trust to be built in a way where you know if they're struggling and you can empower them with resources, with tools, with a suggested, you know, afternoon off, whatever that is, so that they can get to where you guys want to go together. Um, But I think a lot of times, I know for me, I've I've taken the backpack with all the rocks in it myself, and I've been like, I'm going to get up the hill. And people don't even know that I'm struggling um, because I haven't been vulnerable or open or honest about those because of that expectation of having things right all the time. So,
0: Well, I appreciate you being honest about your own personal struggle, right? I think the goal of this podcast is to, to talk about that life's full of ups and downs and missteps. And so change starts here is recognizing what your strengths and weaknesses are, not so that you can be perfect, but so that you're aware of them. So that when you get back into the mode that, you know, the perfectionist mindset, you can recognize it quicker and get out of it quicker, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So one of the things is I looked at your, your background that I was fascinated with was you spending time and researching student athlete engagement. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were looking for and what you learned?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, my passion is athletics, as we've been discussing, and within that learning and building relationships. So my research was focused on student-athlete engagement compared to the general student population. There's this thought pattern in existence for those that aren't operating in collegiate athletics that athletes are entitled, they're not engaged in their work, um, they're self-seeking, all of those things, right? Um, but it's a narrative that is is very small compared to the work and effort that the collective groups of student athletes go through. Um, So I delineated three groups using uh, the NESI, which is the National Survey of Student Engagement. Um, It's a long-standing survey um, with empirical research based out of Indianapolis, and I used that secondary data to pull out uh, student athletes that were in quote-unquote high-profile sports, so football um, men's basketball, and then I did include baseball, then student athletes in all the other sports that were listed, and then the general student population, and looked at freshmen as well as senior student athletes, comparing their engagement with faculty and staff on campus campus based on their, you know, responsiveness, comparing their overall learning experience, how they rated those things, um, and it was interesting. It was interesting as it was kind of like a first step. Um, I would love to do more like focus group research related to building off of you know, my dissertation research, but, but interesting how engaged freshmen were with their faculty, with their learning experiences compared to the senior population. And then also noticing that there wasn't a huge discrepancy across the board in terms of the, their ability to lean in to want to learn and grow more while they were on campus, so it wasn't like this huge divide where student athletes are getting handouts and everyone else is grinding it out, right? Um, so, so I just thought that that was interesting because my my goal is to make sure that the broader population knows the reality of what it takes to be a student athlete. Like I have teammates that are, you know, leaders in marketing firms. Uh, I have an eye surgeon. Like all of those types of people are student athletes too it's not just that 0.5 you know that you see on tv so
0: yeah I thought I thought the NCAA did a good job of an ad campaign about that of showing all the different athletes like all the things that they're doing after college versus just they went pro and I think the tagline was like they go pro and something else other than their sports other than
1: sports yeah exactly yeah
0: I thought that was fascinating because to your point like I feel like there's there's so much there but the other thing that you just pointed out was um the grind of, that's my word today apparently, the grind of being a college athlete is real um, and it's non-stop. Um, it's definitely not a free pass. So you you got your PhD in higher ed administration, is that correct?
1: Yes, yes.
0: What did you think you were going to do with your life at that point? Solve student engagement, student athlete engagement everywhere? What was what was your focus at that when you, when you got your PhD?
1: Yeah, in essence my focus was to become a division one director of athletics. So I was Um, supporting as the executive support for the AD at the university I was located in, I was helping to support the development of a leadership development program for our freshmen and transfer student athletes with an emerging leader group of upperclassmen leaders, supporting stakeholders, board of trustees, etc, on events that they were coming in for. So trying to just get my hands in everything um, to continue to grow um, kind of my position to be able to advocate with some power or prestige right you can advocate from the bottom the middle or the top you know for for certain changes so um that was where i I wanted to be
0: (laughs) so are we still on that track or do we pivot uh because of some other reason
1: yeah yeah no you're so discerning and i appreciate it so um yes my life pivoted um in some ways towards the end of my dissertation phd process i was I was leaning towards maybe doing some type of consulting in college athletics, maybe not necessarily going through the normal path um, towards becoming a division one AD. And I ended up um, getting engaged to my husband um, that moved us down to Bradenton, Florida. That's where we're currently located. And he was hired on, um, you might from a high school perspective, be familiar um, with IMG Academy and the Gatorade Sports Science Institute is a partner organization on campus. So he's a scientist down there, um, which moved us, right? And there's not many uh, locations here um, that have college athletics unless you go up to USF um, at different levels. And it was just a perfect time for me to transition kind of into one of those more consulting l um, type roles. So
0: yeah, well, I, I think... I- I'm thankful that you pivoted because, you know, as I see here, your your mission is probably has always been, but you've defined it most recently as helping professionals and teams identify their own strengths to lead well and grow their impact. And so it's clear you're on fire for that. Can you tell me a little bit about how you develop that and uh, expand on what that vision is all about?
1: yeah absolutely. So um, in the role that I stepped into following that transition, I was able to support a boutique professional development training firm with global impact and going into organizations to help meet those needs of building authentic connection and and helping them be lifted in many ways through through experiential laughter you know filled experiences through, kind of a strategic consulting support role um as well as custom like instructional design development in some regards so so for me with that i have the ability to lean in and and do training as well as curriculum development around workplace well-being right what what does that look like how can we go in and make sure that we're taking time for pause uh we're we're placing effective boundaries around us so that we can be our best selves and show up um, in those environments. So, so that kind of gave me the space to develop those areas I was passionate about growing in. Um, and then of course you couple in uh, building an inclusive workspace with that. Um, uh, and, and all those things together helped me uh, better meet the need on a person to person basis, but also from you know, seeing the broad vision uh, what is the goal of the organization? What are their genuine outcomes? Do they even know? How can we help them get there? Um, so all those muscles were were built kind of through, through that previous experience I had.
0: Well, you, you hit on, I've been traveling a lot more lately um, since I've got my third vaccination and my doctor cleared me. Uh, I, I've been talking to a lot of different superintendents in different states across the United States and they all seem to, say one thing is that they're worried about the retention of their staff and leaders. So there's their teachers and leaders. They're worried about their ability to find new folks. They're worried about their, the culture overall, right? So when you talk about workplace well-being, where do we start? Like what are the things that you're looking for to help diagnose um, what we need, you know, where we take our first steps to make our, the culture of our schools and districts uh, into a place that people want to be and, you know, stay for a long, long time.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's a layered question, right, for sure, because you really have to get into to explore the genuine need based on the situation, the circumstances, what those leaders are doing day to day. But from a, a broader perspective, what we're looking for is creating environments of trust where team members are able to voice courageously their thoughts, feedbacks, opinions, able to have the tools and the space to say, hey, you know what, today I'm gonna be off a Zoom camera or hey, you know what, <laughs> you know, tomorrow I, I actually have to take off a little, a few hours early to pick up my kid from school, right? Like that is an environment where they know that whatever leader is supporting them It's gonna advocate for their needs as well. And I think the reality is that before the pandemic, we weren't operating in systems where that was acknowledged to be just totally frank in most workspaces. Um, It was assumed that the leader sets the standard and you rise to that expectation. And I think there's a shift that's happening that we're all experiencing is that employees are in many ways shifting the conversation to be, well, we have a voice, we have a choice as well, so how can we get one another on the same page um, to to really do what's best for the broader organization, so.
0: What recommendations or suggestions do you have? Because I'm picturing, um, let's say we have a school leader, right, so their principal, and they've got this vision that you're talking about, but the district may not be there yet, Mm. but they know they've got to create this this culture within their school so they don't lose their folks. What's your encouragement for, you know, those folks or any other, like, middle management? I mean, they're full leaders, but they feel kind of stuck in the organization. Uh, What's your encouragement or uh, suggestions for them to kind of go do the right thing for their culture?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think first is getting feedback from those that are in existence, you know, that are currently leading in the organization letting them know that they not only are they going to hear them but they're going to strive to apply and advocate for what they're sharing and then i think it's starting to put some things they're hearing into action in like micro learning aspects so being able to you know decipher everything that we've learned um, does that mean that we're going to do a you know two hour brainstorming on this subject to help define it more succinctly? Does it mean that I do need to give like a practical need like a certain, you know, when wind, rolling window where they're able to have time um, and space to do what they personally need? I, I'm sensitive to, to saying absolutes because I know the nature of teachers, right? Is that they, they only have so many times, you know there's always more they can give. Um, But I just think that that acknowledgement and advocacy is is the practice um, that's necessary. And I do think that they they need to see the fruit of that action. So we need to put in some type of quick win, whether that's in the next month. We're going to do this where people feel like their cup is starting to be poured into bringing in an external consultant to support providing additional resources even if it means advocating with some like key sponsor stakeholder to try to bring in, you know, something that's necessary. If the funding doesn't already exist, I think um, seeing those efforts will help in terms of that acknowledgement, like, okay, they're not going to just let us sit here and feel like, or just, you know, burn out and leave, um, which I, like you said, is happening across the okay. board. <laughs>
0: well, what's your advice um, for someone who, you know, let's say what a teacher's listening they may feel like uh, they don't wanna leave. They're not trying to get out, but they're burned out. They're at their rope. Like, well, what are th- What are strategies that they can access for kind of self-wellness yeah. uh, to, to really get through this?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, morning and evening routine are key and that's something that's tangible for all of us. Whatever morning means to you, depending on that timeline and it can be super simple. Um, So something that we kind of are able to tap into, if that's like a walk around the neighborhood, drinking your, you know, morning Mm -hmm. beverage and making sure that you take 10 to 15 minutes to read something that pours into you before going and serving and doing. Um, Some people have more expansive routines depending on the time they have, but, but keeping those things simple in the morning and then also in the evening, having some time to separate what you experienced from the day with the wind down and what's happening next. I think I can speak for most of us where we often just grab straight for our phones um, as a way to decompress, (laughs) to be honest, after a stressful workday, because in our minds, um, it's mindless work and and it, it makes us feel validated in different ways than what we experience in the workspace. But because of the blue light, because of our brain and the background constantly moving with that type of resource, it's important that we disconnect from electronics for some time in the evening and and just be present, um, whatever that looks like for us. If that's listening to music we enjoy, or again, doing a workout, making a nutrient-dense dinner that really helps pour into whatever you've been experiencing. All of those things help us wind down so that we can improve our sleep habits, right? Which in essence, I always like to say that um, your workday starts at least, you know, 24 hours before, but definitely the evening before. So if you're not planning for the day ahead and mindful of what you're doing that evening before the workday, your workday is going to be affected, so...
0: That's great. I, I've asked this question a bunch, and I've not had anyone throw in there a nutrient-dense uh, meal. And so is that a passion of yours? Or is that something that you've stuck by in terms of the importance of um, nutrition to self-care?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think there are so many things that we think we can just self-care away, right? Like just have a bubble bath and I'm going to feel better. Um, But the reality is that if we're trying to sustain our energy levels and our ability to show up um, as our full selves for the long run, we have to be cognizant of what we're putting into our bodies throughout the day. Um, I don't like to necessarily specify what someone should have and when, because we're all different in that process, but depending on your goals, right, that might look like making sure you do eat something in the morning at some interval. I know most people think that coffee is going to sustain them. The reality is that coffee doesn't really have enough calories um, alone to to actually give us the full energy um, that we need throughout the day. Um, And then, yes, winding down, making sure that we're pouring back into our bodies what we may have exerted throughout that day.
0: That was great. I didn't. I didn't know we would go down that path. I just, when you were saying all the things you could do, I was like, wow, that was very specific. <laughs> I have to assume that uh, it's a passion of yours as well, or you absolutely research and everything else. Yeah. Um, so, my question for you: What habits do you have that you put into play uh, that you think lead to your success on a day in and day out
1: basis? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've spoke to several of them, and and I'll kind of share it in step-by-step form. So yeah, in the morning, I, I go for a walk around the neighborhood. Um, since I'm in a work from home role right now, it really helps me to get just out and about um, and, and active. Sometimes I'll fill that time instead with a workout, but I've learned about myself is that I, just like we like to under promise and over deliver with our clients, I don't want to set unrealistic expectations and then become discouraged um, with what I'm striving to do. So my goal is two to three workouts a week Um, and if I'm able to get more in great, um, but I'll let myself do those in the days that I need to, um, I come back in and I get a good stretch in, and then I I normally will take 10, 15 minutes out to just read something that, you know, fills me, um, and, and is edifying. And then I do have a nutrient dense breakfast. So I'm an oatmeal gal. Um, I have loaded oatmeal, so I have my, um, classic oatmeal, 100% like cacao, dark chocolate, pumpkin seeds, hemp seeds, um, and berries, and kind of mix all those in together. Um, And that's been my breakfast probably for the past at least five months. So when you talk about habits and routines, um, do I mix in and have like eggs and something and things on days? Absolutely. Um, But that's kind of my core. um, And then get into the day. So
0: that's awesome. Any secrets to how you wind down?
1: Yes. Um, I really enjoy um, A, no electronics. Um, We try to do, (laughs) if we're really trying to be, my husband and I really try to be um, focused, we'll do no phone after nine. But the reality is that that's not always feasible. And sometimes you want to write notes in your phone, et cetera. But I do make sure that. I don't necessarily sleep with my phone next to me. I try to leave it on the dresser and the bathroom or somewhere away so that I won't wake up and grab it and be looking at it. Um, I also do a magnesium going to nutrients, you know, like I um, do kind of like a a tonic, if you will, like a, a well-being tonic of just magnesium and kombucha and um, a few other things, ACV, that have genuinely helped me kind of decompress and slow down in the evening and then uh, being just present being present without electronics don't have like a tv you know in the bedroom all those types of things you know to just be focused um, as a wind down so
0: yeah i think aj i think you're about your your email or direct message about the blow up with uh so what's that tonic again and how do i get that um, <laughs> I didn't mean to go down that path, but uh, it's, it's fascinating to me because I think, like you said, I, I, you said something earlier of, you know, your, your workday starts 12 to 24 hours before the next day. Yep. And so just constantly being in that Q2 state of being ahead is really key.
1: Exactly. It's,
0: it's tough. So I guess my question for you is, what do you say to those folks who just feel like they're in the cycle, right? They may have just in there that phase of life where everything's coming at them. They're like, yeah, I would love to be that far ahead, but I'm barely surviving today. And so I just want to watch Netflix and I'll catch my breath and I'll be ready for the next day.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would bring their, their goals to mind, right? Where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Ultimately? Um, One thing that is a consistent practice for me is setting Annual and then quarterly goals for my personal life in different categories. So, faith, fitness, um, finances, firm, which is like passion projects, those types of things. Like, what are one or two things that I can improve in those areas? And then think about the practicality of walking that out because it's there's no condemnation for someone and you're what you're referencing, right? If you want to binge, binge in that moment. Um, But think about how much is binging consistently helping me get to where I want to go? Or is it just feeding this emotion of lacking a certain level of validation in certain regards, and not getting where I want to go to? Um, Is that where I want to be? Do I want to feel have this feeling? And some people might say yes. And that's great, you know, Um, but I think a lot of us would say no, that's actually not where I want to be in the long term, I want to feel different. And if that's your answer then I would encourage the evaluation of where do I want to be and then let me simplify what's one thing I can do tomorrow in that case if it's the night before to to get me closer to to that goal just one thing you know and it could be added or taking something away I think we always think that we have to take something away like you have to take away Netflix but maybe it's not watching Netflix like watching Netflix but but taking away just a little piece of it and that you're not going to do it for as long, right? You're going to shut it down by a certain time, um, but you still get it. But yeah. then over time, you're like, do I really need this? What am I going to fill that time with that actually helps me um, towards that goal that I have? So,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly not trying to demonize Netflix because I've enjoyed plenty of things on there. I think the point is, is that anything uh, can be a good thing, can be abused to distract you from 100%. the other parts of your life. So
1: yeah, that's why 100%. I focus
0: on that. Um, what are some of your favorite books that you've read or most impactful books that you read or what's your kind of reading routine? What, what things you read right now that are inspiring you?
1: Yeah. Um, one book that has really helped me when we talked about the perfectionism and boundary setting on all of those things, um, is, is a book by Nedra. Um, I believe I I don't want to miss say her last name, um, but it is Set Boundaries Sound Peace, Set Boundaries Find Peace. Um, And I actually put a note here so I could remember it's Nedra Glover Tawab. um, is her last name. And she is a licensed counselor, um, therapist, and supports in helping to reframe what it looks like to make sure that we are standing courageous in our needs and also what might be the root of why we don't advocate for our own needs um, and, and how we can continue to grow in that skill set. Um, of course, as you could probably note with what I'm speaking to, James Clear, Atomic Habits, I was an early adopter back in, I think, 2008. like Right when he started his blog, I was like, all in, you know, on the listserv um, and all those things. So, so love everything that he shared, Angela Duckworth and grit. Um, when I'm speaking to anything that I speak to, I always like to have a deeper research understanding in um, knowing that those are the thought leaders in the space um, of, of what I'm sharing. So those are kind of three that have been really impactful to me personally, but there's you know, a wealth of others, so.
0: I know two of them well, so I'll have to look into the other one. Uh, the, one another thing I'm just in. I think music is a soundtrack to everyone's life. So I'm just curious on a playlist right now that you can think of, what, what uh, artists do you have on your playlist?
1: Yeah, so um, Jonathan Ogden is kind of like a up and coming artist that does like kind of hip hop slash R&B slash lo-fi and I like okay. his music and I can just listen to it in the background and it's refreshing. Um, I was always a huge Nora Jones fan. I used to listen to Nora Jones before my meets instead of pump up music. Cause in gymnastics, you have to like be calm and focused and all those <laughs> types of things. So I love his stuff. Um, anything eighties, nineties, R and always, you know, have those on repeat. And then, um, for like pump up workout music, like Andy Mineo or some other um, CHH artists are often on my playlist, so.
0: Like KB, a couple other ones, uh, Chris Holby. Anyways, yep. uh, I'll go down that path. V, yep. uh, you said uh, 80s and 90s R&B. I was joking this weekend uh, at a reunion that in college uh, for this inauguration event I was a part of, uh, I got way too much say in the artists we got. And so I brought 112 to campus and was like super pumped. I got to play basketball with them afterwards. It was like amazing.
1: That's awesome. I don't know
0: if everyone at the school I went to was as diehard of a fan as me, but uh, I was thinking would 112 fit your playlist? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely think they would fit in, fit in somewhere, somewhere.
0: <laughs> I was just thinking, oh man, uh, I haven't thought about them forever, but I got in a conversation. Anyways, I digress. Lauren, you can take that out if you need to. Um, all right, before we let you go, I'm just always curious. I mean, you're someone who's reading a lot, surrounded by a lot of really influential and amazing people. What's the best advice that you have for leaders right now that you've just heard recently and it's on your heart you want to share with them?
1: Yeah. I mean, we spoke to it um, in this present moment. I think it's keeping the vision, the end picture in mind while still filling your own cup and that you have permission. You don't need permission to do it. You don't need permission to do something for you uh, because I think we're often waiting for someone to be like yes green light go for it Um, sometimes you might have to fight to make time fight to shift what's in your environment to make space um, for those moments um, but it's worth it so I would just encourage anyone to not become discouraged and what they're doing if you're passionate about the occupation and the space that you're in know that over time with your diligence, you will continue to see the, those breaths, breath moments, you know, those moments of lightness, that ability um, to, if you will, see the fruit of what you're doing uh, in those areas. So um, just know that you're not, you're not alone. Um, all of us are experiencing this, but um, we can each reframe our approach uh, to make sure that we're, we're doing what is best for ourselves, but also those um, within our sphere of influence so that's great
0: so dr lee aj whatever we're going to go by again you're so easy to talk to so it's hard to just look at you like <laughs> dr lee even though you're definitely uh, deserving of the title what's the best way for people who are listening right now and want to learn more about you what's the best way for them to uh, learn more about you and uh, how you're trying to influence them
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I am. I am on the gram. So if someone wants to go um, at Dr. AJ Lee on Instagram, um, and I would say that's probably the best place. Or you know, just write in the comments, and we can you know, I can send it an email your way um, to stay connected. I have the privilege, of course, of, of working currently in a, in a space where I'm able to support learning um, for Franklin Covey. So, so would love to just stay connected in, in any way that I can.
0: That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you so much. It was definitely uplifting. And if any word describes you, authentic is the first one that would come to mind. So thank you for bringing your head and heart to this conversation. It was a lot of fun.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Dustin and team. You guys have a great day. All right.
0: Thanks, AJ. I appreciate you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcasts on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.